Matthew 28, verse 6, declares that He is risen. We sung a song, He's risen. We know that He is risen. We pray that He be risen. He was uh, foretold that He would rise again. And so the whole story of the resurrection has to do with the, the ability of Christ to raise Himself from the dead, to deliver Himself from the power and the penalty of sin and death. Oh, death, where is your victory? The grave, where is your sting? Couldn't hold them down. No way to keep our Lord from fulfilling His promise, which was same thing that He told His disciples after three days. You might destroy this temple, but after three days, I will raise it up again. And they're wondering, wait a minute, it took how, how many years to build Solomon's temple? How many years to you know, make this magnificent temple that would glorify their God, the God of Israel, and the one that they would worship? And, and you're going to rebuild this yourself in three days? Of course, the temple he was talking about was the temple that the body... Was the body that he received from his father. And he gave that up for us. Friday night, we were particularly privileged to enjoy Brother Johnny's message and uh, to be able to hear again the story of the resurrection and the precursor having to die on the cross. Why did Jesus come? And what was the meaning for that and so forth? Beauty, beauty. You see, the Lord did come, and he came with that purpose. Remember, it, um, it was him who, like three, three months ago, it might be a little bit hard for the kids to think about this. Well, wait a minute, wasn't Jesus just born three months ago, and now all of a sudden he's dying? And so it's kind of hard for them to keep that chronology but you who are mature know that there was 33 years in between that time. And when he was born, he was the only one who was ever born with the purpose of dying. It was for this purpose that he was going to the cross when he was suffering in the garden and when he went there in the upper mountains and was asking his disciples to pray with him. He was watching and he was praying and he was asking his heavenly father. He was asking, Lord, let this cup pass from me. Except that, you know, that was the only reason for which he'd come. To fulfill what we couldn't do. He became for us. I'm going to use a big fancy word, but don't get confused. He became for us our propitiation, our price payer, as it were, our redeemer. He was the one who was coming with the purpose of satisfying the penalty of sin for all time for all men. He was the only one who was sent from heaven. He was the only begotten full of grace and truth. He was the only one of the Father who was sent with the purpose of dying. Dying for your sins and mine. But before his death, 
he had to live a perfect life. Otherwise, he would have had to die for his own sin. The Bible lets us know that the penalty or the wages of sin is death. And that penalty has to be satisfied. Brother Johnny, thank you for bringing up that point Friday night. I appreciate it. Sometimes we don't talk about that enough. But penalty of sin has to be satisfied. And God couldn't, couldn't uh, make that plan. And then, uh, and then him uh, not be true to himself. He said the wages of sin is, is death. In the Old Testament we learned the soul that sins, it shall die. And that was the promise of God. But God also provided a way of escape that we might be able to endure it. He gave us the hope of Christ in the person of his only begotten son who became our price payer. He sent Jesus into the world. And allowed him to give his life up for you and for me. For the penalty of sin, not just for us, but for anyone who falls short of the glory of God. By the way, anybody here measure up by themselves? We can't, but with God's help, we can. Sin, though it had a penalty... Though it needed to be satisfied, though the judgment was going to be meted out, mercy came in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mercy came and Jesus lived that perfect life for some 33 plus years on the earth, proving that we don't have to sin and that God is perfect. And then he went, as you've been watching maybe on the Bible or you saw one of the earlier shows or you've read the scriptures, God forbid, you know, we actually read anymore. Uh, no, if it's not on video, I didn't see it. No, we should be reading the word of God. In this book are the words of life. These are the ones that point us to Jesus. Hollywood can only do so much. It can't tell us the love of God for us, but we can read with the understanding of the Holy Spirit, what it is that God is trying to do for His people, for you and for me. He loves us with an everlasting love. And that's why in this scripture today, Matthew 28, 6, it says, He is risen. Join me in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, as we go to this passage today, we pray for your spirit's understanding. Guide us to the truth of this message today from your word. We pray that uh, the glory that is declared in this place will be revealed to your people. Only let us have ears to hear and hearts to understand. We pray this in the name of Jesus today. Amen. If you ever uh, do puzzles, and then if you do do puzzles, sometimes you, you know, okay, do you cheat? You know, if it's like a crossword puzzle, okay, well, let's see, let me look at the other word before I do this one. And, you know, and you kind of, kind of, kind of finagle, and you're trying to make it as easy as you can. If you're doing a, one of these puzzles that you put together on a table or something, you're always looking at the picture. Well, how does the picture go, you know? So you want to see it. And it's much, much easier, is it not, to do a puzzle if you have a picture. If you don't have a picture, you don't know what it is and what you're putting together. 
Somebody might tell you it's an elephant, but is it an elephant in the corner uh, of a desert over here? And you're just trying to make sense of it? You have no idea what's there. And so you want to look at the big picture. And that's what I think we see in the scriptures is this big picture. I told you before, and I've shared this before, in junior high, instead of listening to the math teacher, you know, because I flunked that class, I couldn't stand it anyway, I used to make little puzzles and stuff, and then I would, I would do this, and I would pass them out and see if anybody wants to do it, but that's what I used to make, little puzzles, and just a uh, little, uh, you know, just try, try to find the end type of thing. And I found out that it's much, much easier to find the end of one of these puzzles or mazes or what have you, if you go to the end first and then make your way out. Isn't it easier? And you know what? That's what we see in the cross. We can see in the cross and in the resurrection of Christ the end that He's already paid the price. He's already sacrificed for us so we don't have to worry. Now He tells us how we then should live and so forth once we know that He's already paid our price. But wow! Isn't it much easier in life when we have assurance and when we have confidence and when we can boldly proclaim that we will live with our Lord in heaven forevermore because He has declared it and He's offered it to us. And once we know of a surety that God has done that for us, wow, how much easier it is to live this life while we're here. To be able to follow Him and do those things that are pleasing to Him. God has made it much, much easier for us by laying it out for us in this book. He's let us see the beginning from the end. We don't know everything in, in between. We can't see it as perfectly from His heights as He can and knows it all. He knows uh, all time and, and, you know, we just know a little space of time right here. I remember living through the 50s or the 70s or the 90s or whatever. Okay, so we experience that. But yes, from one finite position on the earth where we are sitting or from our house or from our city or from, you know, whatever news we're able to gather, we saw whatever uh, we saw from a very, very finite perspective. But God sees all and knows all. And He's trying to declare it all to us as much as we're able to absorb. He'll give it to us. But we could not possibly comprehend it all. But we do need to know. We do need to know what He wants us to know. And that we find in the Scriptures. Okay, So it's in the Scriptures that we're going to go today. You know, I was very fortunate to have... All of my chillins, all of my uh, uh, children and grandchildren over yesterday, uh, my wife and I were very blessed to uh, watch them. It's like, gosh, it's amazing, you know. Here we are, two people. Yes, we beat our kids within an inch of their lives. We threaten them with whatever. And no, you're not going to get a car. And, you know, I don't think you're ever going to make it through being a teenager. I mean, all the different things, you know. I mean, you know, whatever. Stand in, go stand in the corner, whatever. All of the things we did. And my God, look at them. They're beautiful children. They love the Lord. They serve, and now they're having their own kids and want to raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It's just absolutely beautiful. So watching these little kids, and by the way, they're not perfect either, but they are to grandma and grandpa. Okay, so we have an Easter egg hunt. Well, a little whatever. Okay, is it, is it taken away from the cross? I don't think so. I don't think so. Just one of those fun things.
like dreidel is to the Passover, okay? So what do the kids want to do, especially when they know there's a golden egg there? In fact, this year there was a silver egg too, but... So there's a golden egg. Okay, yeah, so we, we don't want all this stuff. We want the golden egg. <laughs> so they're looking for the golden egg first, but while they're on their way, they find other stuff. And that's the way it is with us. Remember the pearl of great price? That's what we've attained. God has already offered us. He's given us himself. He is the pearl of great price. He is the one who's offered himself for us. He has given us life in his name. And now it's only for us to live and to follow after him. Folks, the truth of Matthew 28, 6, he is risen, is still true today and as true today, maybe even more true today than when we first learned of Christ. All right, I want to go ahead and share this passage. Let's read a little bit. Beginning in Matthew 28, it says, After the Sabbath, in in, uh, chapter 28, verse 1, After the Sabbath, at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. And it says there was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord had come down from heaven, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. And his appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were as white as snow. And the guards were so afraid that they shook, and they became like dead men. Well, verse 5 tells us that the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. And there you will see him. Now, I've told you. That's what the angel said to the two women. When you go back and you look at one of those women there, see one of those women was Mary Magdalene. Do you remember her? When you go, well, well, let's see, there's a story that begins in Genesis. Do you remember there? Who was it that first sinned? I'm not excusing the man, but who was the first sinner? (laughs) By the way, who was the first one to the tomb? A woman. And this woman in particular, if you look at her, she was one with great trouble. She was one who was horrendously tormented. She was one that we learn in the book of Luke, in the Gospel of Luke, that she was one out of which seven demons had come. Wow, you think you're facing hard times. You think you have difficulties in your life. Hey, wait a minute. I have, uh, by the way, I was talking about somebody yesterday who's tormented. He's got, you know, horrible hip pain and a limp and, you know, and and that's going to be his plight for the rest of his life. There's no cure save whatever miracle God might bring for him. But he's angry at God. Angry at God and will not darken the door of a church because of that anger. And yet, God has been touching him and moving him, prodding him, calling 
to him. And he's only got one demon, maybe another. What vice or demon or ailment or difficulty is it that you're facing? And is it as much as Mary Magdalene, out of whom seven demons were cast? The Lord touched her, and the Lord looked upon her, and the Lord healed her from all of those demons. And now where is she? Wow. She's been brought to a place where she loves the Lord. She, she came, remember, to anoint the body of Jesus. She wanted to be there to make sure he got a proper burial and so forth. Instead, she was treated to the good news. The good news that Jesus had risen, just as he said. And by the way, I, I want you to drive this point home for you. If Jesus said it, it's so. Okay? If Jesus said it, it's so. If God the Father promises you something, he'll make good on that promise. And when he sent his son into the world, it wasn't to confuse the world or, you know, scare the world or whatever. It was to offer the world peace and pardon in the person of his own son. In, remember, uh, we, we talked about the, um, in fact, again, Friday night, brother. Shoot, I'm still reeling. It was such a great service. Talked about the beloved son that was baptized, his son, Jesus, who went to John and said, I must be baptized of you. And you saw the sign that God gave. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Hear ye him. Listen to what he's got to say. When he speaks, he speaks fully. He speaks clearly and he speaks of good and he speaks of promises. And these promises are not Promise lightly. In fact, in Scripture we're told not to make promises, you know, unless we can keep them. And Jesus kept his promise. He rose again just like he said he would. The angel came to testify. And by the way, when it says that the angel came, the ground shook and, you know, he rolled away the stone. It wasn't so that they could let Jesus out. The Lord had already risen. What was the angel doing? The angel rolled away the stone so the people could look in and see that Jesus was not there, that he had risen. So Mary Magdalene knew the blessing of the Lord. She knew the promise that he kept. When this violent earthquake came and the angel of the Lord came down, rolled away the tomb and sat on the top of that his appearance was like lightning, folks. This is something that was different and stranger than anyone had anticipated. Not only were the, these women awe, in awe and amazement and so forth, but they were comforted by the Spirit, who, or this, by this angel, this messenger, Evangelion from the Lord God, who came down and spoke to them. And he says to them, do not be afraid. By the way, that's repeated over and over and over in Scripture. Whenever an angel comes, that warning comes as well. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. God, though He is an awesome God, isn't in the business of causing us fear for nothing. He lets us know that He's an awesome God and that we need to uh, tread with uh, gospel-shod feet. We need to be careful how we walk. Walk circumspectly and so forth. And walk respectfully as well 
around the things of God. And that's what he led them to believe right there. But look what happens to unbelievers. Look what happens to those who don't care about the gospel. Look what happens to these who were set in charge of the tomb to make sure that nothing happened. These Roman soldiers who were ruthless in their treatment of anyone who would commit insurrection, of anyone who would go against the Roman orders, these who ruthlessly ruled to cause fear and trepidation in the masses so that with only a few ruthless soldiers they could control huge masses of people because of the vile and evil things that they would perpetrate, the crimes that they would commit on people, and the, the absolute disregard for the honor of human life, how they would degradate it. And they were able to control all of that, but they were not able to control the voice of God that spoke through an angel. And when they saw those, because there's two in another gospel, one here, put them together we know there were two men when they saw those angels sitting there what happened to them they came to a catatonic state they froze and fell back like dead men it's an awesome thing to come into the presence of God even into the presence of his witnesses to his angels as well. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook, and they became like dead men. And the angels said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus. So who do the angels speak to? To the guards? Who cares about them? They don't care about God. I came to give my good news to those who were receptive. And those who were receptive were the women there. Do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where they've laid him. Come and see. Look at that place, and you'll see evidence that he's not here. He's risen. He's risen. God fulfilled his promise. I want you to go ahead with me. It says in verse 7, Go quickly and tell his disciples. Go quickly and tell his disciples. He is risen from the dead, and he is going on ahead of you into Galilee, and there you will see him. Now, I have told you. So he wants these women to believe, and he wants them to know a little bit about God's plan. They didn't know the, the whole story. They didn't know everything, but they knew this much that the Lord Jesus, just like He had promised, had risen. He was no longer there, but He was going to rise, uh, rise and He was going to go on before the other disciples and He was going to meet them in Galilee. Okay? I've told you. You've heard the word. Now go and tell His disciples. Go and tell. You see, after they had seen and heard, they were able to go and tell. You don't have anything to share unless you've seen it and you've heard it. 
But once you've seen and heard the gospel, folks, you have something to go and tell. You have something to share. Once you've been the recipient of the good news, what does that give you? The awesome responsibility as well to go and share. That's what he tells them to do. So they go to the disciples then. It says in verse 8, So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet still filled with joy, and they ran to tell his disciples, and suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said, and, and they came to him, they clasped his feet and worshipped him, and then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers. Same message that the angel gave. By the way, if it's a true messenger of God, they're not going to give any message different than what Jesus himself will give. So he says, go, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers. The angel said the same thing. Go and tell the disciples. Go and tell my brothers, Jesus said again. Go to Galilee, and there you will see me. Wow. Now, we are not as privileged as these women who have run up to the physical presence of the risen God. But we have come into the presence of our risen Lord. And every time we pray and every time we sense the Holy Spirit with us, that's the promise of God. That I am going away, but I'm sending another one, a comforter who will be with you. Who will come alongside you, who will guide you, who will bring you into all truth. That one, the paraclete of God. He gives himself to us. These women were privy to the, not only the spiritually glorified presence of God, but able to see a physical body. And they clasp his feet after the resurrection, after the death and crucifixion of the Lord. And they were able to see his hands, see his side, see the marks on his head. They were able to believe. But he tells them, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers. Meet me in Galilee. Verse 11 says, While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. And when the chief priests had met up with the elders, they devised a plan and they said to the soldiers, uh, excuse me, and they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You are to say, His disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this, <clears throat> excuse me, if this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And it says, And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews even to this day. And that is one of the theories of you know, what happened to the body of Jesus. And there's other theories, you know, like uh, instead of him being resurrected, you know, he was, his body was stolen. Instead of being resurrected, he really didn't die. And, you know, in the coolness of the tomb, his life, you know, his lifeless body began to re regain life. And then he somehow gained superpower strength or whatever and pushed the stone away, even though, you know, several soldiers couldn't have pushed the stone away and just all the other theories that are out there as well but this one look at this one that while we were asleep I want you to tell this story 
The chief priests and the elders tell these soldiers who were there, sent there to guard the place where Jesus lay, not to protect him, but to keep anything from happening so that the story might not get out. Those guards, those roaming guards, those same ones who ruled with ruthless, uh, you know, uh, vehemence towards getting their message out and frightening people uh, just basically out of their skin because of what they could do to people to keep them in check, keep them in obedience to them. Those Roman soldiers, the same ones that shook like dead men, you know, came and fell back and so forth. Those guys, we want you. They're alive now. They go back and report that the body's been taken. So the chief priests and the elders devised this plan, and they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, saying, you're to tell, tell anybody who asks you that the disciples came to you in the middle of the night and they stole the body away while we were asleep. Okay. Think about this just for a half a second. Think about this. These soldiers were given a mission. And that mission, not should they you know, choose to accept it and then the tape disappears and melts away. That mission, if they failed to complete it or failed at the task of that mission, they would basically be surrendering, surrendering their own lives. They knew that the penalty for falling short of a Roman order was death. Up to and including their death. That was the penalty for falling short of completing that mission. And if they were to admit that they fell asleep, that also is met with the penalty of death. You do not fall asleep on guard duty. Tough decision. What do we do? But they were offered a large sum of money. Either way, they were going to die. May as well take some money. They were offered a large sum of money. So these chief priests and the elders offer them a large sum of money and say, go and spread this story. Tell anybody, tell everybody. Anybody who asks you, tell them that his disciples came in the middle of the night and they, they stole the body away. And remember one of the Roman soldiers thinking, either way we're going to die. But the chief priests and the elders said, we're going to do something for you. They offered them a large sum of money, but they also said, we're going to do something for you. If this news gets to the governor, don't worry We'll say something and we'll come to your aid. We'll protect you. And so that story, even to this day, has some people believe in it. The things that, you know, just are just almost amazing. <clears throat> almost amazing some of the stories that are out there that other people want to believe when the simple truth is that the Lord gave himself up for men, willingly went all the way to the cross, took on that pain and suffering, bled and died for you and I, 
was buried, and just as he promised, rose again on the third day. Simple gospel truth. Folks, this is the good news. What the devil thought he had done in the destruction and getting, turning people's hearts away from God and getting them to go to uh, these lengths to destroy Jesus. And yet it didn't work. What did he do? He rose again from the dead. Verse 16 says that the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mount where they had been told. And then they saw him and they worshipped him. But some doubted. Where are you today? Are you going to go and meet the Lord and worship him? Or are you going to be a part of those who doubt? Simple choice. Believe or doubt. The Bible tells us that without faith it's impossible to please God. If you don't believe Him, you can't please Him. If you're doubting Him, you can't please Him. The only way to please God is to believe in Him and to have faith in Him. You want to please God today and worship Him? Or do you want to doubt Disbelief, wonder, question, or accept it. That he rose again just like he said he would. That's our opportunity. When you look at what Jesus did, we know that he fulfilled his promise. We know that it was said of him that he was born in a virgin womb and he was buried in a virgin tomb. We could say that there were, you know, three nails and one cross, and that makes us forgiven. We could come up with all kinds of other analogies. But the simple truth is, folks, this Lord who said he would give his life for the many did, in fact, do what he said he would. And he rose again just like he promised. There were many attestations all along the way, all along the way. From the beginning of Jesus' ministry when he called people, when after they had gone fishing, remember when he called Simon, after uh, Simon had come back empty-handed and he was a you know, veteran fisherman, and he says, hey, there's you know, it's nothing out there, we can't catch anything, I've been out there all day, let's go out one more time. Huh? Well, when Peter came back and his nets were full, the Lord said, I want to make you a fisher of men. So you see, from the beginning of his ministry all the way to the end, there were signs and wonders, like, you know, the, the wedding at Cana, you know, the, the miracle of turning the water into wine, and all the many other healings and so forth that occurred in his life and in his ministry, and how many would come, and they, they just wanted to touch the hem of his garment. And all along, there were all these signs, and yet some of us, some of the, even his disciples began to doubt. They wait a minute. He said, destroy this temple in three days and I will raise it up again. And okay, now it's beginning to make sense because now he, he has risen. And he's beginning to show himself to, to these women, to Simon Peter and, and, uh, 
in, in John. And he shows himself to the disciples, and he shows himself to the many, and he meets all the disciples that are gathered there in the upper room when we get to our study in the book of Acts. And over and over and over again, we see these attestations and these uh, testimonies of how God is real and how he deals with people in real ways. And all he asks from us is that we believe in him. Believe him. Believe in me and you will be saved. Call upon me and I will answer, he says to each one. If we'll just believe in him. Do you believe today? Do you believe you're forgiven of your sins? Do you believe that it was all finished on the cross? Folks, when we mentioned at the beginning there in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was praying and when he was agonizing over what was about to happen. You ever been that little kid and had to go wait for your dad in the garage? My kids still tell me that story. Go wait for dad. And that was the waiting was worse than the actual whipping, you know. <laughs> you know, they go, oh gosh, they're like this. And most of the time I miss or, you know, hit the table or whatever. Anyway, so all that fear, all that fear. Imagine, and it's no wonder then, because Jesus could see clearly on the other side. It says, for the joy that was set before him. He knew he was going to be agonized. He, he knew he was going to be whipped. He knew he was going to be flogged. He knew he was going to be beaten upon, spat upon. He knew that his beard would be plucked. He knew that he would be socked and mocked and all these different things. He knew that a thorn, a, a thorn of crown was going to be placed on his head and cause him great pain. He knew that as blood dripped from his body, he was beginning he was going to begin to to weaken and agonize. He knew the stripes that were going to come on his body, but it was by those stripes that were healed it was prophesied in Isaiah. He knew all of that, and it's no wonder that in that garden that he prayed, "Father, let this cup pass from me." And he agonized with drops of blood. He sweat so hard, agonized so profoundly that blood came forth from that time of prayer. But he did that for us. He did that for you and me. He did that to pay the penalty for sin. He did that so that sin would no longer have power over you or I. He did that so that sin would be conquered once for all. And not only to prove that the price had been paid, what did he do? He went to the cross. He says, no one takes my life, but I lay it down willingly. And he allowed himself to go to the cross. And when everyone was said, well, take yourself down or position, heal yourself or call for the angels to come and rescue you or get down from the cross and then we'll believe. No, it doesn't happen that way. You believe on my terms or you don't believe. Wow, he did that for us, folks. He endured the cross because of the joy set before him. He did that for us and for all time so that sin truly would be conquered, that penalty truly would be paid for, and that there would be provision for all of our sins to be able to be forgiven 
If we confess our sins, what does it say? He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let me ask you a real hard question. I don't want any out loud answers. Is there something in your life right now that's keeping you from following the Lord? Is there a a sin that so easily besets you? Is there some weakness within you that you just, I don't know, Lord. I don't know if you can forgive that one. You know, I did this, or I did that, or I haven't done this, or I haven't done that, whatever it happens to be. God's bigger than all your sins. God's bigger than all your sins. He's faithful and just, it says, to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, no matter what it is, no matter how big, no matter how small, no matter how long, no matter how brief, God is able to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And he offers pardon to anyone who will call upon him. Just believe. Believe that I am he and I will reward you. Believe that I will forgive you of your sins. He wants to do so much for us if we will but let him. He's already allowed himself to, his physical life to be taken. He was buried as it were. But then he rose. He rose. He rose. He arose. Up from the grave, he arose. He's risen. Title of this morning's message is not by accident. He has risen. He is risen. And he will for all time be our risen and reigning Lord. Only believe. Folks, there's so much more we're going to see in in the uh, coming weeks. We look at the book of Acts, and as we go more to the story of the resurrection next Sunday. But suffice it to say, the debt has been paid. There is no more separation between man that we don't put there. Uh, I mean, God doesn't make any uh, distinction there. God is no longer separating us. He's offered us free access to himself in the person of his own son, the Lord Jesus. We only need to believe on Him. Believe on Him. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe for salvation. Believe for forgiveness. Believe for eternal life. Will you trust Him today? If you haven't already made that decision in your life, do that today. Don't don't trust this church. Don't trust the words of this pastor. Don't trust the words of any institution. Only believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And the scriptures promise, and thou shalt be saved. Amen. Let's go ahead and have the uh, those that come and lead us in song. We're going to go to our benediction, but if there's somebody here that wants to make a decision for the Lord, just say, man, pastor, I haven't, uh, haven't fully given my life to the Lord. I want to do that right now. How do I know I'm forgiven? I want to ask for forgiveness right now. If you need to make that decision, this is your time as we sing this benedictory song today. Will you come? Please stand with us as we sing.
together. Sunday. It's uh, good to be in the house of the Lord. It's also good to be with other believers, uh, folks that are like-minded, that share the same testimony and faith that we do. When one believes, it's easier for us to believe too, is it not? I hope it's uh, been good for you. If there's any trepidation you're still having, all right, uh, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. God is near. We just need to call upon Him and believe in Him. Join me in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, it is by your grace that we're saved. Your atoning sacrifice is the only thing that pays the price for our sin. And you offered that to us freely. You gave it to us without measure. You offer yourself, Lord, so that we might have life in your name. Thank you so much for that. Bless us all this Resurrection Sunday. Bless us all this Easter tide. 
Bless us all, Lord, we pray, as we recount the blessings of our Lord, you, Lord, who died and rose again for us. Bless you, Lord. You are risen. You are God. There is none beside you. We can look to no other. We can have faith in no other. We believe in you. Help us only to continue to believe and follow after you all of our days. Father, as we go forth from this place, may we be reminded of your scriptures to read them. May we be reminded of your scriptures to be exhorted by them, taught by them, led by them. These things we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and Lord of all. Amen.